Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 5, Lover's Leap. Mary, what happened this week? God, I didn't know the title of this episode, and like I just internally rolled my eyes hard. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I looked it up after the fact, and I was very upset. It's like, really? Okay. Val and David find mutual and questionable comfort in each other in the midst of Sheila's depressive episode. Tony decides to throw a dinner party for Dylan and all his friends. Dylan uses it as an opportunity to get caught snooping in her dad's office. Kelly uses it as an opportunity to wear a really great dress. Bruzen and Cleaver there, too. Donna helps Nat and Willie with their fancy cheese-eating mouse problem. Bruising's great. That's really good. You know, we've been cruising for bruising for a long time now. <laughs> I mean, they do have really good chemistry, and I wish it had been any other episode that we would get to see those things. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, let's just get into it. Let's do it. Because we open the episode where Val is... In this dream, she's like tossing and turning, and it's this black and white dream where she's running in slow motion down a hallway towards a locked door, and she's trying so hard to get into it, and then she screams because like her dad is on the other side of the door, and she wakes up screaming, and Brandon and Steve like both rush into the room from both sides of it, like Steve through the bathroom, Brandon through the hallway to check up on her. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess that's a way to open it. It it set a tone. I understand what they were doing where, like, she's having, you know, a, a trauma reaction from what happened last episode. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I absolutely loved that Brandon and Steve just, like, both rushed in to be like, oh, my God, are you okay? Yeah. No, I think that's kind of the – it's showing, like, a sibling vibe that I didn't mm-hmm. know I needed from them. And maybe it's something that because we've seen Steve actively go after Val and then Brandon and Val kind of fumble together, but then come to the decision that like, no, they're not going to pursue this. It that this kind of solidified that for me is like, no, they're really here just to like help and protect and and be kind of brothers to Val. Yeah, I this relationship with them, I mean, kind of through the whole episode, there were a little little missteps that I didn't like but like the way that Brandon especially reacts to Val in this episode like I appreciated that yeah yeah agreed and so we get the credits and Carol Potter is credited in this episode I was very excited I was also very excited I was excited for that I was excited that now we had basically two episodes with the opening credits spelling Jenny with a Y, and now it's back to Jenny with an IE. So <laughs> happy about that. And we have a female director this time. Love a female behind the camera. Yep. And honestly, I was like, man, this is like right out the gate. We're getting those, especially in Val's dream montage, getting those like Dutch angles where it's like off to the side and you're clearly stating the tone of the episode like mm-hmm. right out the gate and so I was like I was curious I was like okay this director Bethany Roney I was like what has she done the answer is everything 
because yep. she has basically done every, I guess, notable television show that you could think of. I mean, starting from the Wonder Ears, the Wonder Ears, the Wonder Years. <laughs> um, I mean, even going back to like St. Elsewhere, like back in the day, Melrose Place, she's done 14 episodes of um, of this show and and notably some really good ones like she's done high wire she did things to do on a rainy day she did perfect mom um she did uh she did uh perfectly perfect so she's done some pretty notable episodes and then even like past that ally mcbeal dawson's creek boston public like the list goes on and on one tree hill and might i, I add some very good episodes um Gilmore Girls. I mean, Homie has done everything. So I immediately was like, yep, I'm going to notice this and it's going to be great. I I will say, you know, I think I looked at directors and writers and everything before we started this podcast, but especially now that we've started seeing like Bethany Rooney, I know every single time she does an episode, mm-hmm. we gush about her. Like I notice it more when I watch other shows where I will recognize names in the crowd. Oh, for sure. And it's kind of cool, and I think it's something like long time coming for the other side of the camera, right? Like mm-hmm. all the focus gets onto the front of the camera, so seeing the actors and seeing the guest stars and things like that. But I mean, if you listen to to podcasts that are done by actors or those in the business, they are constantly talking about crew. So yeah, I've definitely taken more of a, a notice to it as well. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that you know, you're talking about setting the tone of the episode and the Dutch angles and this like black and white dream in the first scene because the first scene after the credits, after all of the B-roll is Dylan pulling up to Tony's house that he can take her to school. And it's just like a complete tone shift. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely showing like the mood. I think she directs with mood this entire episode. You can tell based on the lighting Based on like even the weather, which you can't predict, obviously, but it's like you see warmer tones when it's Dylan and Tony, and then you see the like colder tones when it's anything to do with David or Val and things like that. Yeah, it's a lot of like night or internal shots when it's mm-hmm. David. Cause, you know, Dylan pulls up to Tony's house. He, you know, goes over to Bruno. He's still doing this whole like a way to a man's heart is through his stomach and brings him donuts. And then Tony brings him into the house for a tour and it's like kind of weird at this point because they start talking about this house and she's like, yeah, my dad built it 10 years ago when my mom died. And Dylan says, oh, I totally get that. My dad died. And Tony just responds like, I'm sorry. Let's go look in the dining room where I'm bringing all your friends tomorrow without asking. Yeah, I think that look that she gives there was kind of supporting – I think the theory that both of you have that Tony knows what's up. Like she she knows what's going on. She knows who Dylan is. She knows who Jack McKay is, like all that nonsense. But it was even more interesting to me, like after Tony's look was Dylan's look because he's almost fishing for it. He's like, well, what do you know? Like with his, you know, it's kind of like the Spider-Man uh, <laughs> meme or whatever. Yeah, because it's like, well, wait your mom died my dad died you know this do I know this how do you know this like very questionable looks there and it it even continues because like Tony brings Dylan into her father's study which I feel like under normal circumstances if you don't know who he is and you know what your father does you're not just taking him into this man's office yeah 
But she brings him into the study under the guise of like, oh, I used to do all my homework in here. And there is a very well-placed photo of Tony with a Y and Jack McKay. And Mm -hmm. Dylan even picks it up and is like, oh, who's this other guy? And like, it's that same back and forth of like, do you know who it is? I don't know who it is, but do you know who it is? Yeah. And you're starting to like wonder like, okay, like for all intents and purposes, like we have been told that. Tony with a Y is responsible for Jack McKay's death. Mm-hmm. So presumably he had a hit on Jack and succeeded, right? Like that's what we know as an audience. So we're trying to find out just as Dylan's trying to find out, not just who knows about this, but then what What was Jack McKay to Tony, right? Like what? Who? who is he to the Marshat family? And even just Dylan trying to find out what Tony knows is so – It's, like, subtle but not. (laughs) Right? Like, that's the thing that gets me is, you know, they're kind of acting like this is subtle and, like, this this photo is just placed here. But you know it's not. Yeah. It can't be. Especially if, as an audience, we're being told that Tony Marchette killed Jack McKay. Why would he just have a photo of the two of them up? Exactly. So the fact that they have, like, for all intents and purposes, a buddy photo together is – just so weird because you're like well hold on if you can kill my father in cold blood you can also put your arm around him and act like he's your pal like what what is this what's going on yeah like it's either a plot to like mess with dylan or like you know do a like they don't know that we know that they know kind of a Mm -hmm. thing or on a much darker side it's like like how killers are supposedly like keep trophies. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Like it in my mind, it's one of those two things right now. And I just I'm leaning more towards the like circuitous plotting. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so we have like all of these kind of dark themes going on in this episode, and then also this weird dinner party that Tony is throwing. And so, real quick, she said she got their phone numbers from Nat, right? Mm-hmm. Why does Nat have all their phone numbers? I'm thinking Tony doesn't know how to use a phone book. So, she went to Nat, who does know how to use a phone book. <laughs> <laughs> and because Nat can't say no to a pretty girl, he's like, sure, I'll go through this exercise of looking through the phone book for 10 people. <laughs> That's so funny to me um, because, like, was it the last episode when Tony shows up at Dylan's and is just like, you're in the phone book, stupid, when he's like, you know, like, how do you know where I live? Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I already used that excuse. Uh, Nat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, like, seriously, it's weird to me that Nat has all of their phone numbers. It's not right. I don't like it. Yeah. It's like (sighs) – Nat has taken the role that Jim and Cindy left, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like he's the only person who connects all of them. Yeah. It's it's just weird. But the next scene is the girls at the Peach Pit talking about how Tony called them all and invited them to this dinner party. And Kelly is just like, well, it's like really pushy that she asked us, right? 
yeah, she's like super sus. And Donna's like, hey, man, you're just jealous because she's dating Dylan. And she's like, I'm not. And like they have they do have a cute little like, I'm not R2. Like, you know, like that sort mm-hmm. of thing, which only comes from being BFFs and on this show forever. But you have to wonder, like, are there still unresolved feelings, even though all of them are presumably dating other people? Oh, there definitely are. Like, that is the entire purpose of the dinner party scenes that we barely get in this entire episode. Yeah, that's like one of my major complaints, which I know we'll get to. But we go on and on and about, on and on and on about this dinner party and then we just don't see it. Yeah. Well, and even in this scene, you know, they they have these few lines, but then do a complete right turn and start talking about David mm-hmm. and how he's been skipping classes all week and that Mel says that, you know, he's depressed and his mom isn't doing great. And it's like just kind of whiplash from like, hey, dinner party. Also, how's our friend who's going through a very hard time right now? Yeah. And unfortunately – We've seen this and we know this all too well with this show is kind of the struggle, I guess, with having a very special episode or trying to tackle a very important topic and not understanding how to fill the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. Personally, and this is this still could be a 2022 lens. So, you know, stating that right off the bat. If I'm going to have to like come to terms with themes like these, I want to just sit in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want the whole episode to be dedicated to that. If it's an overly sad episode, that's okay. That's fine. I don't need to be then dragged out of it to try to then find humor and a rat being loose in the peach pit and then have to get sucked back into it. I, I don't know what it would be like as an actor because obviously you don't shoot things in order mm-hmm. and you block things and you have days dedicated to certain things. But I would just imagine as a viewer watching the episode, pretending like you are filming in order, how hard that would be to have to go into an emotion and then come out of it and then go back into it instead of just being able to be in it and stay in it. Yeah. I mean, it always makes me think of the fact that they have these like 32 episode orders. So they're filming multiple episodes in a week. Mm-hmm. So like, they're probably mixing and matching scenes in order to make sure that like, okay, David's going to be in a ton of scenes in this one, but that's because he has to be doing this for next week's episode. But like that kind of makes sense from a production view. But yeah, as a viewer, I'm sitting here being like, why wouldn't you just have David's episode this week and be very David heavy this week? And it could be David and Val and just like everybody else kind of pops in and out as it's necessary And then next week, we get a full episode about the dinner party. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think that would work so much better because then you're not having to mash everything together to make plot sense, I guess. Mm -hmm. You can almost make it like a, for lack of a better term, like a monster of the week situation where you focus on one thing and then focus on something else the next week. I think... And we've even seen, I mean, like this was kind of my other thought, like so many episodes, I know we're only on episode five, but a lot of the episodes this season have been everyone together all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's worked. Yeah. And I think that's what we were missing is that we had pods again this episode, whereas we had two opportunities to kind of 
have either everyone together or like you said, focusing just on David and have it be a David heavy episode with people pop in and out. Yeah. And so it almost feels like they had like 30 minutes of content with David and needed to fill other stuff. So they threw in the mouse at the peach pit. They threw in the dinner party and then they even threw in like, you know, stuff that they thought was going to be real smart, like the one flew over the cuckoo's nest thing. Mm. Did not care for that scene, but we're not there yet because this is the first time that we actually see David in the episode where he's at the hospital visiting his mom and he's brought her flowers, but she is just like completely unresponsive with him. She's facing away from him. She's like barely if blinking at all and just like not registering the fact that he is in there and talking to her and he's getting very frustrated. Yep. And Mel is kind of hanging in the background, letting David have a moment. But then as he sees that David is getting frustrated, he kind of swoops in, tells her to let, um, tells David to let her rest. And then they kind of exit the room and just talk about the situation. And obviously, this is a unique situation for David because he is now kind of old enough to realize what's happening and to be let in on what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Mel has been through this, you know, at least a time before. So he kind of at least knows perhaps what has worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past, things like that. So now they have to kind of talk through treatment plans. And for David, this is the first time he's hearing about anything like this. So he's just, you can tell, you know, he's visibly overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it sounds like they're talking about things and frankly, not giving the doctor, actor, the enough enough time to talk about the treatment. Like she just says like, oh, we're talking about like maybe giving her electrotherapy because, you know, drug treatment, she's not responding to it. We have to try something else. But you need to know, like, there are some side effects. And, like, everything that she says is true. Like, I've heard of people doing, like, electrotherapy and, like, magnetic stimulation for, you know, bipolar and depression and all of those kinds of things. And, like, these are tried and tested and, like, valid treatment plans. But when you just sit a 19-year-old down and you say, we want to put electro you know, waves through your mom's head. Like, of course he's going to freak out. Yeah. And just the way, almost how, like how the words are put together in the sentence, like, you know, using the word skull as opposed to head, you know, like, you know, obviously the doctor is going to speak differently than probably David would. Well, definitely David would. And so it's just kind of freaking him out. And then even though it's important information, when she talks about the one in 20,000 chance of mortality, all he hears is mortality, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And like, this is the thing. They could have spent more time on even just having this doctor. Like this could have been a time filler that makes more sense to me of her being like, well, there are already electric currents that go through your brain. This is just like an added stimulus or like, you know, let's talk about this one in 20,000. Like let's do something to get you comfortable rather than you know, him getting really upset about it and the, like, the way the people around him are reacting of, like, you have to get back to normal. Right. Exactly. And even though David, as we see in this episode, is very closed off when talking about it, you know, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to do anything. I think that that would have been better felt if the friends and everyone around him had spoken to him with just 
something other than we need to fix you, right? We need to get you out of here because you can't be here because this is like you need to snap out of this basically. And so him being shut off and and kind of forcing people away, that's a result of that. So I agree. I think we could have sat in this a little bit more, had a little bit better dialogue from the friends, from everyone else to hear more about what David's feeling and why this is like what like what in particular is affecting him and things like that. Yeah. And it's not like David hasn't been in therapy before. Like, right. People should be willing to talk about their feelings. But even in this scene, you know, Mel is just like, oh, how's school going? You have to go to school. I go to work every day because you just have to, which is true. Like you can't just, you know, completely shut your life down, but just telling him he has to go to class is not the helpful way to say it. Right. But rather than sit in this and feel emotions and like, you know, really talk through this, we have to go to school because – Brandon is walking through the student center and he sees Dylan in the bookstore and we find out Dylan is waiting for Tony to get out of class so that they can go to the beach. And, you know, Brandon starts making all these comments about the dinner party that we never see. Yep. And then Dylan proceeds to tell Brandon about the picture um, Mm -hmm. that he saw in the office. And, you know, they just have a little back and forth there. And I understand the, and I've come to the realization that this is just how Brandon and Dylan's relationship is, but I mm-hmm. hate it. They're so snippy with each other. They're so combative. I just, I'm going to have to get used to it because clearly it's not going to change because they don't even have Kelly to fight about anymore. And yet there's still short fuses. It almost makes me think, are they really in love? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're so hostile to each other all the time i'm like what what tension is lying beneath here we get two enemies to lovers in this season (laughs) i would be so happy if only yeah but it's like it's weird because you know they they're walking through the student center and we like kind of cut away from them again because val is at the condor's nest ordering a triple espresso And Brandon, like, is done with Dylan, moves on to go to Val and be like, oh, is this because you haven't been sleeping? Like, let's talk about that. Yeah, and she doesn't really want to talk about it. So, which I think for Valerie, like, granted, it's really only Brandon who approaches her about this. Like, Steve never does, Mm -hmm. which is fine. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. But I think the way Brandon handles the situation with Valerie is a lot better, like a lot more compassionate, a lot more empathetic, you know? And it's like it made me crave that for David because we know how David reacts to bad situations, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's very quick to shut down and very quick to close himself off. So you would think, especially Kelly, especially Donna – knowing this about him, going through some hard times with him, like they would know how to talk to him or at least they would recognize what they're doing is not working. So then adapt. But Brandon right out the gate with Val is actually kind of great with her. Yeah. I love how Brandon and Val interact in this whole episode. And I agree with you. I think the only issue I take with it is the fact that 
like Brandon is giving Val this much compassion and literally no one is giving David any compassion. I mean, Brandon, Dylan, and Steve don't even talk to David in this entire episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Yeah. But since Val says she doesn't want to talk about what's going on with her, they start talking about the dinner party again. And Brandon says that he's going to invite Susan. And there's no way that she says no. Cut to Susan saying no. <laughs> yeah. And I we mentioned this, but I just really appreciate the chemistry that these two actors have with each other. You know, even Brandon saying, oh, weak women, my specialty. And Susan's like, you'll live to regret that remark. Like, she's very steadfast in, you know, like she, like, I think she's a really good combination of somebody who is steadfast and has high constitution in what they believe in, but yet still gets soft and gooey with someone she likes. Like, I think you can, like, both things can be true, right? Like, you can be a very strong woman, a very you know, headstrong and and, and all of this, but still have a soft spot. I mean, think about it. Like all three of us are probably like very much like, no, I can handle myself. Like I don't need a man. But at the same time, I'm like, Nate, can you go lift that heavy thing for me? Like, you know, like we all get a little crumbly when it comes to our person. Yeah. Um, Diet Coke in bottles is way too hard to open. So <laughs> Michael helps me with that. <laughs> but I, I just appreciate that they're actually showing this really complex woman in mm-hmm. Susan Keats. And it not like, I don't know how to phrase it, but it's like, it almost makes her more likable that she has this duality with her. Well, and yeah, like, I just love that she's like, we cannot date. And also work together because I am your editor. That's not a professional relationship. So like we can either not work together or not date. And I love Brandon's response of like, okay, well, I'll quit. Then we'll go to the dinner party and you can rehire me tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, Brandon just wants one date. (laughs) I just – they're so cute. And I love her reaction to him. Where he's like, oh, so you're attracted to me. And she's like, I'm attracted to a lot of things. Hot fudge sundays, acid jazz, big headlines. First of all, what is acid jazz? <laughs> I don't know. And I didn't look it up because I was scared to like not like it and be like, oh, no, Susan, you have bad taste in music. Yeah. I heard it and I was like, oh, shit. Is she like Emily Valentine? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's basically this scene ends with – Susan saying she's not going to go to the dinner party with Brandon and then they have like this little back and forth and then it ends and we have to go to David's dorm room where people are knocking on the door. They won't leave him alone. He finally goes to check on who it is and it's Donna and Kelly who don't start with how are you? They start with it's two o'clock. How are you not out of bed? Also your room smells. Yes. And this is exactly my point. Like – They're acting like a mother rather than a sister and an ex-girlfriend, much less a friend, right? And so David immediately is like defensive. He puts his guard up and he's like, no, I'm not going to talk to you. I don't want you here. This sucks. And you guys are being terrible. He stops short of even just like saying like, you guys suck. (laughs) Yeah. And then the conversation gets – 
really bad and it's it's definitely like partially 2022 lens and partially also really bad like David is being uh he's on the offensive right because they asked like oh how's your mom doing and he snaps she's nutty as a fruitcake haven't you heard right and then you know Donna apologizes he says you can be as sorry as you want to be Kelly tells him that he has to get on with his life which is what a thing to say Mm. right after what he's gone through Mm -hmm. and like it just keeps going like David says maybe they should strap electrodes to my head and Donna says you're talking crazy and David says maybe I am crazy and I started tearing my hair out because of how awful this dialogue is yeah and it's like I think it's a totally normal reaction for David to have right like he is clearly affected by this whole situation it's just then exacerbated by Donna and Kelly basically just like fueling it right and so he's clearly like like reacting in such a way that makes sense but it's still just kind of shocking to hear and yeah I just think the the writing I don't really want to focus on it but it just (laughs) It just worries you, like because it's thrown around so easy, easily and so flippantly. It's like, I don't know. It just it, frankly, it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, it really did. And you know, part of me thinks that that's what they were going for because you know it is uncomfortable to have these conversations with people. But at the same time, these are people that love David, and they should be compassionate with him rather than say like your room smells and you need to move on. Yeah, exactly. It like hits differently coming from them as opposed to Mel because Mel kind of says the same thing. He's like, how's school? You need to keep going to school. Like, I'm going to work. Like, you you still have to exist. But like, that's his dad saying this, not his two best friends. Mel is actually his father and is like having to pull the dad card to do these things. Mm -hmm. But what I wish had happened in this scene was David being like, oh, my mom's nutty as a fruitcake. And then Kelly being like, don't say that. Like your mom just needs help. Everybody needs help sometime. Yeah. Well, you would think the psych 101 or the psych major would understand this. Exactly. I mean, and consider how much stuff all of them have gone through. Kelly had an eating disorder. David had a drug problem. Like Kelly was in a cult. Yeah. Like, They should understand compassion for things that you're going through. Yeah. Can I just like pop in to be like, Kelly bothered me so much in this episode. Like considering she's the one who's supposed to be like excelling in these psychology classes. She just comes off as so unempathetic and just just like a know-it-all and not like an actual friend. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. or sister type figure for David. Like, gosh, she made me so mad this episode. I didn't like it. Agree. Hard agree. And, you know, David really shuts down with them. He kind of does that same thing his mom does where he turns away and just refuses to continue the conversation. And so we kind of skip ahead a little bit where it's, I think, that night and – Susan is in her dorm room and Brandon shows up 
kind of weirded me out. I guess there's like a student directory that would say what dorm room she lives in, but it's weird that he knows that. <laughs> um, but she invites him in and he says, you know, it's totally fine. I'm going to quit the newspaper and we can go on a date because dating you is more important than my job, I think. What do you think about that? Is it okay? <laughs> I loved it. Like up until this point, both of them have been very confident, you know, mm -hmm. like even though they're acknowledging their feelings, they've still been very confident. And now we see both of them flustered and it's quite adorable because Brandon, we haven't really seen him get that flustered. Like he usually has like this air of bravado about him that we're like, that's not real, but it's okay. You know, now he's like questioning his decisions because he's like, I want to do what you want me to do, but I don't really know what that is. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> but he's like, wait, hold on. What? Well, what are your thoughts on that? You know, like, <laughs> did I do it right? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just contributes to this whole, like, they have good chemistry. I wonder if any of that was improv a bit, you know, like, yeah, it was great. Well, yeah, because, like, the conversation between the two of them, because he says, well, as an editor, you should be devastated. But as a woman, and then Susan <laughs> says, as a woman, I'm a little concerned you have this much trouble finding a date. Yeah. <laughs> But then she says, yes. She's like, you don't have to quit your job. You called my bluff. And then as he tries to leave, he bumps into her door while he's trying to open it. And then he leaves and the camera stays on her a little bit longer to have her like do that little dorky smile. Mm -hmm. Like they are so cute. These are the kind of relationships I enjoy seeing on screen because it feels the most real. You know, like I don't think that there's people out there, I mean, there probably are, it's just not me, who are so confident and, like, sexy and, like, alluring when they meet each other and their meet cute is just filled with all of this, like, heat. I'm like, no, no, th th this is what it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. And it's weird that, like, it's thrown in with everything else, right? Yeah. Like, this would have fit in a dinner party episode because, like, literally the next scene is Val writing an email to Cindy, catching her up on everything that's going on and how hard life has been for her. And then, like, Brandon and Steve come in and they're talking about football and they're so excited and they clearly see how upset she is. And she just walks away to go lay on the couch and Brandon's like, I'm going to go check on her. Yeah, and I almost feel like I just had a thought. Because I really do enjoy the the bruising scenes. So I almost feel like we could have kept the vowel reaction, you know, like mm -hmm. we could have kept because I also have enjoyed Brandon, especially this scene right here that we're about to talk about. I love the Brandon vowel connection this episode. And I feel like we could have kept that alongside the din the dinner party. And then left the David stuff for a completely separate episode that focused just on him. You know, even though they're sharing this trauma and they're reacting in similar ways, I st yeah, it, it it makes more sense to have the Val Brandon stuff with the dinner party than it does to have the dinner party amidst all the David stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, like, this scene is really emotional. Like, uh, Tiffany Thiessen absolutely crushes this scene in like 
everything they gave her to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to kind of skip over the details because they get really graphic with it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, like Val is laying on the couch. You know, Brandon's trying to get her to go to her room. She's like, I don't – I can't be in there. I can't go to sleep in my own bed. And starts telling him that, like, she can't remember good things about her dad because of how everything happened. And, you know, she says that her mother blames her for everything. And, like, yeah, there were other problems, but I was the one that she laid the blame on. So I can't call her about what I'm going through right now. And I can't talk to anybody. And I'm just going to lay here for a while. Yeah, I think it perfectly shows not only do we finally realize and finally get to know why she truly left Buffalo and why she hasn't gone back. I think a few episodes ago, maybe it was when Ginger was in town, we even asked ourselves the question, like, why hasn't she really talked to her mom? You know, like, mm-hmm. what what's the deal here? And so we finally learned that. But we also get a little bit more insight into what Val was like before coming here and you know she was kind of rebellious like she says she was she was wild she did what she wanted to and caused a lot of fights between her parents about her and so she feels all of this weight and all of this guilt about what happened not only because she believes she caused it and her mom thinks she caused it but also because she had to actually see what happened Mm -hmm. yeah and This also made me think of, I think it was last season over Christmas when she's supposed to go to Buffalo, but she changes her mind and ends up going to like Jamaica for a while. And Kelly gets all snippy about it and is like, oh, she's been lying to us. It's like, no, she doesn't have to tell you why she didn't want to go to Buffalo. And now we're actually figuring out why. Like Mm -hmm. every time they bring up her mom or her not wanting to go back to Buffalo, like – this scene makes all of it make a lot more sense. For sure. For sure. And like you said, I think I think Tiffany and Jason handled the delivery of these lines and and the the weight of these lines very, very carefully, which is which is what you want to see happen. And I think that's when Beverly Hills does excellent job of handling these really traumatic and tough topics that like if you could just take this scene almost like a film study and show like this would be the blueprint and Mm -hmm. that's why it makes me so frustrated a with the whiplash we get in this episode and so many of the other special episodes that we've had but also the david situation where he is directly affected by the literal events that are happening and Val is triggered, right? So it's like we're handling the triggered aspect of it so much better than the actual plot that's happening. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, it just I so I feel so com- uh, like I have complicated feelings. Yeah, well, because literally speaking of whiplash, we cut back over to the school where apparently there's been a movie at the student center, and it is one flew over the cuckoo's nest because, of course, it is, and. Claire and Donna and Ray and Kelly and Colin all went to see it together and they're talking about how great the movie was and I will say Claire is a girl after my own heart of being like you all have to read the book because that's me. I will read the book before I watch anything if I can help it. Mm -hmm. But as they're walking, you know, David is trying to pick something up to eat 
and he sees them. He's like, no, no, I'll just take it cold. You don't have to heat it up. I have to get out of here. He doesn't want to sit with them. And then after he leaves is another really bad conversation. Mm-hmm. Because Claire says, David better snap out of this or he's going to find himself in the cuckoo's nest. Donna says that's not funny. And then Kel says, sorry, Don. I'm afraid she's right. And then Claire mouths, wow, and looks away. It's just so out of character. Like, like looking at it just at a baseline. Like, Kelly's a psych major. Claire was his girlfriend. Claire Donna is intelligent. Right. Well, and Donna's like, that's not funny. Like, she correctly points out, like, you're being insensitive. And they're like, basically, no, we're not. Shut up, Donna. Like, I don't know. We say it's out of character. But then I think of how many times, you know, Donna is actually the one that understands things and other people don't pick up on it. Or, you know, when Dylan lost all of his money and fell out of his sobriety and everyone was just like, whatever, he's a drunk again. Bye. Like, yeah. I I want there to be growth and I want there to be compassion and I want the friend group to like want to keep including David and try and, you know, help him. And instead they're just like, if he can't get over what literally just happened last week on his own because we're not helping him, he's going to end up in the cuckoo's nest. I think it's just for me is like if I'm thinking about – and maybe – Maybe I'm thinking about this a little too much. Like maybe I'm just very much overthinking this, but I'm just trying to think back in college. If I had a friend that was going through something like this, would I react like this? You know, like I'm trying to place myself where they are. And I just, I mean, first of all, like we all know my personality is that of a people pleaser. And like, I don't, I will do anything to not lose a friendship, but like, aren't they worried about that? Like, at what point after this, like, after David does heal and he does kind of figure out what he's feeling and his mom is able to get some help, like, just even thinking down the road, why would he go back to being friends with them? You know? Right. So even if I were, like, let's just say Donna, because I think she's the closest one to being a people pleaser of the group. If I were Donna, I'd be terrified that David's just going to, like, leave. And not be my friend anymore, you know? So even if it was a completely selfish reaction, I, I just can't – I can't I, – I can't relate, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right? Because it's it feels like they're kind of unconsciously training him to be like, we're not here for those feelings. We're only here to be your surface friends. So next time you're going through something, you better deal with it on your own or find somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, this weird energy, like, with all of their interactions with David where they're just, like, rolling their eyes at him. Yeah. Because he's not being the David that they know. Like, yeah, it's, like, fun David versus 3D David kind of a thing. It's yeah. almost like they're worried he's going to go back to meth, but they also don't care. You know? Yeah. like Like, they're just, like, waiting for him to go be the meth guy again. I feel like they would probably be happier if he was Meth David on the radio because he'd be doing something. 
Yeah. But because they don't like that he's like literally fallen into a depression because he's going through some shit. They're just like, David, go to school. Isn't didn't Dylan say something like that like a couple of episodes ago or maybe last season where he was just like, you guys like it better when I have problems? Mm. I think he did. That sounds right. Right? It's not a good scene. It made me very angry. They should have cut the whole thing. And I don't know who in the writer's room thought they were being so cheeky with the one flew over the cuckoo's nest reference, but I want to find them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we get another short scene where Val has fallen asleep on the couch and she's having that same dream. Literally, it goes the exact same way. Um, It it goes a little farther where she actually gets into the room at the end of her dream and she wakes up and is basically having a panic attack. Like she is hyperventilating. Brandon comes running in and is like, oh my God, I'll get you some water. And she's like, no, I really just need someone to hold me. Please don't leave. Yeah. Again, excellent scene. And it was like a two minute scene. Mm -hmm. I I just, I literally choked up. Like I felt the tears. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. It, this this episode is so complicated because it's invoking such a negative reaction one scene prior. And then you get this. That's why I'm so mad about it because – and uh, sorry, listeners. You're just going to have to hear me be mad because why? What is the point? What are you trying to accomplish by making Claire, Kelly, everyone else – so bad to David and about David and then going and making Brandon wonderful to Val, right? Like, what are you doing? And it like keeps going. We get like two absolutely BS scenes that just didn't need to be in this episode next where like it's the next morning and Tony is setting up the dinner party and Bruno says that her dad doesn't know about it and then her dad calls and then she and Dylan go make out outside while Bruno's watching. Yeah. And then we go to the peach pit where we find out there's a mouse and Willie has been leaving camembert in the mouse traps, which like in another episode, I would have been like, oh, let's talk about imported cheese. But in this episode, I'm saying, why are we talking about imported cheese? And who cares about a ra- like also if there's a rat in the peach pit, I'm out. Right? People are still eating there. Steve goes and gets coffee for Claire. Like, if I heard there's a mouse, I'd be like, I'm sorry, Nat. I can't be here at the moment. Yeah, what is your health score? Right? And, like, there's a short scene where Steve and Claire are really cute and we understand they're going to start dating, but we already got that and it's fine and whatever. I don't know. I don't really care. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, like because because of the other subject matter, I don't care about the other stuff. That's that's kind of why I'm like, let me sit in this. Let me exist here. Don't bring me out of it just to throw me back in. Yeah, because then we go right back to David in his dorm room and, you know, Mel has shown up and he wants to get David out of his dorm room, take him to lunch, and David will have none of it. And Mel's like, okay, fine. Then we're going to talk right here because your mom needs this treatment and she has to sign off on it because – She's still under her own free will. Like nobody has taken her power of attorney or anything. And he's like, I need your help to get your mom to agree that she needs this. And David completely shuts down. 
and refuses to help, even though Mel says this might be her only hope. And the thing here that I take away is like the reason he shuts down is because he's like, I'm like 19 years old. I can't, mm-hmm. like, why are you putting this on me? And like, I understand what Mel, like, what Mel's saying. Like, he's like, she won't talk to me, but she will like listen to you and things mm-hmm. like that. But it's still so much to put on him for this, not only his age, but also this being the first time he's ever dealt with something like this. Yeah. I, I feel really bad that all of this is ending up on him, but that's the thing. We just get this one short scene mm-hmm. and we don't get to sit in it. Because then we have to go to the dinner party that we never actually see. Yeah, we essentially see the beginning of the dinner party when people are showing up. And we get stupid stuff like Brandon ribbing Dylan for some reason. We get a bunch of comments on Kelly's dress, which she does she look She looked amazing. Awesome. Yeah, but she like, looks really good. But yeah, like why do we have to see her look awesome and then Susan be self-conscious? And Tony make a comment on it. And, you know, both the guys have to – explain it away and then donna says that ray can't come because he's stuck in traffic which probably just means that jamie walters was unavailable in this moment mm-hmm. and like Fine. david's not coming which obviously right and then steve makes a comment about how ray's from Reseda because he's an asshole and then we get claire doing art speak about a sculpture that colin loves which she ends up just saying, like, I'm horny, and Steve probably perks up. Yeah. And then Dylan, like, excuses himself to go to the bathroom when he actually goes to Snoop in Tony's office, which is the stupidest idea I have ever heard in my life. Yeah. And Bruno catches him, and he doesn't even try and hide to be like, oh, I thought there was a bathroom in here. But the only thing that was worth it of everything we just talked about is Bruno being like, I know who you are, and Tony knows who you are, but I also know who your dad is, and to- Tony with an I is like a daughter to me, so don't fuck this up. Right. And it almost seems like Bruno is like, I'm cool if you're cool, so don't be uncool, right? Yeah. Like. It sounds like Tony with a Y wouldn't like it, but Bruno doesn't care. Bruno gets donuts. Yeah. And literally, that was the only thing worth it in that entire scene. And it's the only stuff we get at the dinner party. Yeah. Because then we have to go – Val is also not at the dinner party. She has decided to go see David. And this is where it gets really weird. And I don't think this is how they should have handled this. And – I genuinely hated every second of it. I think the only thing that I liked was that it seemed like Valerie was legitimately trying to have a conversation with him and, like, allow him to feel his feelings. Yeah. Like, she says she wants to check up on him and see how his mom is. Like, Mm -hmm. that is fine. Yeah. It was like, as soon as they left the dorm room, that's when it all went poorly because – she like before they leave she like tells him about her dad and like at first david's like i don't really want to hear about this because like you obviously don't understand but then she mm-hmm. reveals like no no i have a uniquely like i'm uniquely qualified to like talk to you about this because it literally happened to me mm-hmm. and i i wish we would have just stayed in that bubble 
to have them kind of talk through things, but we don't because they like go for a drive. David doesn't get to eat his Chinese food, by the way, which oh, I he, I noticed it just got left out. Yeah, the whole thing was he wanted to eat it while it was warm, and now he doesn't even get to eat it. But anyway, she takes him somewhere, and she like tries to make some jokes about the mouse at the peach pit, like. I, I don't understand why she would try and, like, inject levity into this. And then he says, like, what are we doing here? I don't care. And then she takes him to a ledge and basically says, if you jump, I'll let you. Which is, like, what the fuck, Val? Like, this this is not how you handle someone who's going through something emotional. This is this is probably further traumatizing somebody. And the fact that she admits that she comes here all the time as a gut check to make sure she wants to live is really effed up. Yeah. And I think what, like where it misses me besides all of the dialogue, <laughs> besides everything, besides everything is that David isn't the one who needs to be convinced to live. Yeah. And even if he was, like, this is still an extremely insensitive way to handle the situation, but David doesn't need to be, like, I guess, thrust into what taking your own life looks like. Like, that is not the point. Like, the point is that he's having so much put on him because a parent of his has tried to take their life. Not that he wants to or not that he is contemplating or not that he's even struggling with it. He, I can understand it from Val's perspective of having those thoughts because she literally saw it happen. And then afterwards, her mom has blamed her for everything. So you can, you can see why she gets there. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it just misses me in the sense that she now thinks the way to handle this with David is the way that she's handling things. And I don't – like, David hasn't been suicidal. So it just misses me. To kind of put it in these, like, 90210 references, like, the point is over in Reseda and they're over in Beverly Hills. Like, they are so far removed from what's actually happening and for some reason the show makes it seem like this works yeah so I think I don't know I just can't I don't feel like the situation's resolved because I think they missed the point like you said yeah and like to be absolutely very clear this is not how you talk to someone especially if you think they're at risk of trying to take their own life like you do not put them in a situation. You don't ask them leading questions. You don't do these things. You don't threaten them. You don't act flippant about whether they live or die. Yeah. No. You Like, this is toxic and really dangerous to even, like, put on TV. Yeah. Agreed. And, like, it, it just ends. Like, mm -hmm. David's like, I don't want to die. And then they go away from it. And then we go to the peach pit where we see a stupid scene where Donna calls a mouse to her hand. Yeah. But let's skip over that because I could absolutely care less about that. Literally, the only thing is that Dylan says he's going to tell Tony the truth about everything. It is the only thing you need to see in that scene. But he still even says, like, but I'm waiting for the right time, which means he won't tell her. She'll find out and it'll blow up. 
Yeah. And then Steve takes Claire back to the beach apartment. They kiss. Whatever. I will say I did see a photo of the beach apartment from another angle and there is a staircase around the corner that takes them up to a big wraparound and that's how they keep getting to that second door. Huh. Okay. It's the only only thing I want to say about that because I saw that yesterday and I was like, I understand now why people can come into their apartment from two different okay. doors. That makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. But like those scenes just don't fit in the story that we're trying to be told because then we jump back to Val and David because after what Val just did, she takes David to the hospital so that he can talk to his mother. And the only good line in this storyline to me is when Val tells him, you just worry about her heart, not her head. Like she's Mm -hmm. trying to appeal to the side that like, you have to trust the doctors you know, like, let them handle the complicated medicine part of it. You just be there for her, right? Which that's the point. That's yeah. the point. Not whether or not David should live or die and whether or not he should be responsible for it. Like, that is that is not the point. It's like, cut that scene away and, and, and let us stay in that dorm room and let mm-hmm. them talk. And then let Val come bring um, David to the hospital and give him this line because to me that line I literally wrote down this is the only good line in this storyline well, because it is exactly what David needs to hear because he doesn't need to worry about stuff that he can't handle and doesn't know about he should only handle what he can control and how he's there for his mother and the thing that gets me, like, yeah, they should have stayed in that dorm room because we know Tiffany Thiessen and Brian Austin Green can handle it. I yep. mean, in this episode alone, we've seen it with Tiffany Thiessen, and then we've seen it with Brian Austin Green all the way back when Scott died, which also, that happened in front of David, and nobody ever brings up his traumatic, you know, responses to that. What a perfect callback that would have been. Right? And instead... They did what they did. And like even Val kind of makes a joke and I get it. It's a joke and I probably shouldn't take offense to it. But like David tells her, I don't know what I would have done today if you hadn't dragged me out of the house. And she says, well, you're a crazy person, David. It takes one to know one. Yeah. It's like a she's trying to be like, look, we're sometimes you need to be pushed like, you know, and but it takes somebody who's been through what you've been through to get you there. Like, yeah. So I hear you like. The crazy is the part that bothers me, not the intention. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that moment, like that instance of Val using the word crazy, um, I see that as kind of more like this is solidarity. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's like felt that way before, like it can be helpful, especially at that age to just kind of take that term back and just be like, okay, this is what that feels like. And I'm not alone. Right. So I, like, don't hate it there. But, like, I much more hate Kelly just being an eye roll. Like, yeah. I've I've said what I've said. Yeah. 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 Just, no. It's it's fine. It's, it's definitely, like, that, like, that ableist view of calling people crazy like I totally Mm -hmm. get like wanting to take that back and like especially being 19 
you know, sometimes there's just words that you have to use for yourself. It just like, it grates me every single time because we just don't need to say it. But that's a 2022 lens. That's a me thing. I get it. Yeah. And like, you talk about the actors being able to handle these things. Like, David going into talking to his mom is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, Brian Austin Green does a, does a great job of being vulnerable, of being being vulnerable yet strong. And it it helps when he's talking to her because his mom turns around and listens to him. And she even goes as far as to say, like, will you be there when I wake up? She didn't. And that, again, is the point. She didn't need David to, like, talk her into a procedure. She just wanted to know that he was going to be there for her. Like, that's what's killing me about this episode is the whiplash between completely missing it and then arriving right on it. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last week about, like, her needing her support system. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's all she needs. And, like, you know, it's kind of really, you know, heavy that it all ends up on David's shoulders. But, like, all she wants is a support system. And, like, they're going to have to work together to find the way to make that work. And that's what they do in this scene. Yep. Exactly. And I feel like the episode could have ended right there. Yeah. Or, like... I don't really like the last scene in it, but we could have completely skipped the Colin and Kelly making out and him being like, stay the night, and her being like, I brought my toothbrush. And then then he's happy that Brandon and Dylan were both jealous. He also says, I love you, and she doesn't say it back because, of course, she doesn't. Right, because that's 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 what happens in television. It's like you death taxes and not responding to when somebody says, I love you, and the whole like – Calling to make plans, but actually not making plans. Do you want to go out? Yes, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, then there's like one tiny little scene where we finally get Carol Potter because Cindy has wrote Val this like short but perfect little email. And between that and everything that happened with David, Val feels a lot better. She goes to sleep that night. She has her same dream, but instead of, you know, not being able to break into this door and finding what she finds on the other side of it, David's on the other side and says it's okay. She doesn't have to be afraid anymore, which is a little weird. I feel like they're going to try and make Val and David trauma bond and date now, Mm -hmm. but at least she gets to sleep. Yeah. And it could just be a projection, you know, like David represents, you know, working through things, right? Like hopefully Mm -hmm. it's not literal, but as we know with this show, they like to put things right in front of our face. So, yeah. And I mean, that's how the episode ends. We see Val sleeping peacefully. Yep. So, do you have a quote of the week? So, I didn't really write down a whole lot of quotes because I hated so many things that were said. Um, the only thing, definitely the line that, that Val says about, um, you know, just worry about her heart, not her head, mm-hmm. just because I think, again, that's the point. Um, and I, I think maybe I had one other, like, you know, levity kind of quote, but I don't, I'm good. I'm good with the one. Yeah. My only other thing would have been, uh, like the bruising moments, but mm-hmm. like they, they fit weird because I wanted this to be a just heavy episode and the next episode have all the light stuff, but. Yeah. 
would have been my only guess. So I wrote down one thing, and it was Cleve standing outside of the beach apartment. And then Claire was just like, I can tutor you in any subject you want, Steve. And he's like, except one. And then he kisses her and she's like, A+. Plus. <laughs> and I would have liked it so much more if it wasn't sandwiched between a whole bunch of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, yeah, I... I have nothing for Cleve, but I could also, like, maybe see myself caring more if, yeah, it wasn't sandwiched between all these things. Like, when Steve brings her coffee and puts his arm around her shoulder and then goes to take it away, and she's like, don't do that. That felt nice. I was like, I can relate to this very heavily. My love language is physical touch. Well, and, like, it's – Another instance of two actors having good chemistry and delivering lines that like fulfill that chemistry. That mm-hmm. if other characters did it that don't have chemistry, it would it would have sounded weird and like whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, we all know I love Claire, but in this episode, I hated her because the times that I was supposed to like, like the times that I was supposed to love her, I did. But then it was like she said something dumb afterwards, which is not like Claire. Yeah, her mm-hmm. mouthing wow and eye rolling when they're talking about. David ending up in the cuckoo's nest. I wanted to slap those highlights out of her hair. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, again, I'm just going to say it again. Kelly, oh my God. Don't just be like, no, Donna, Claire's right. And then the only other thing you do in this episode is wear a hot dress and glare at David because he's not going to school. Yeah. Like, like you're his sister. You have showed in so many other instances that you care about David. So why the fuck are you being like this now? And like, I'm going to blame Colin because I don't like him. I I don't either. I think it's a fair thing because the only thing we get from Colin this entire episode is that he told Kelly to wear the red dress. I'm like, why is she listening to you? She's a model. She knows how to dress. And also just him being like, Haha, your ex-boyfriend was so jealous. I'm going to kiss you now. I hate it. I hated every second of it. And like maybe they're building up something out of it, which I, you know, can look forward to and it'll all make sense then. But as of right now, I'm just like, let's just let's just get to next week. Let's just get yeah. out of here. Yep. Okay, so next week we have season six, episode six, speechless. And just an FYI, it is much higher rated on IMDb than the last several. Well, actually, that's reassuring. It's the highest rated on IMDb of the season. Getting it out of the way early, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I have no idea what that could be about. I kind of hope that somebody loses their voice and just can't speak through the entire episode just so I can be like, well, I was mad at you last week, so I don't mind that you can't say anything, Kelly. Yeah, I was about to say, let it be Kelly and and we're good. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Kelly. I normally like you, but like, this is a bad look. Yeah, like you're my favorite character. Don't do me like this. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out what that's about next week. And until then... You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to podcast. Yeah, or hit us hit us up with an email if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments. Um, just really anything you want to say to us, just let us know. Um, you can send that over at backtopodcast at gmail.com.
That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And as always, don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe. All those different things help us get seen. They help us build our community. You know, we just really appreciate that feedback from y'all. And if you give us a review, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm Ariel. I'm Caitlin. I'm Mary. Bye. Bye. See ya.